Bibles now, if you'll open them to Ephesians chapter 4, fourth chapter Ephesians. And tonight we're going to talk about another one of the particular sins that Paul says that Christians are not to have a part of. In this particular section that we're studying in chapter 4, Paul is giving us some very practical advice about how that once we've come to know the Savior, that we need to put away the things that we were before we were saved, and we're going to venture off into this new life that we have in Christ. And the section that we were studying uh, just previous to these verses where, is where Paul talked about crucifying, putting off the old man, and that old man is corrupt, and he says to put on the new man, which is created in Christ Jesus and created in righteousness and holiness. Now, last week I, I was mentioning about uh, sin, that's what we're talking about. And I said that it's good for us to be specific when we talk about sin. Sometimes we just generalize the subject and people don't really understand. Well, are you talking about me? Are you talking about what I do? And so what Paul does here is to get very specific. He doesn't generalize, but he gives us in this section four specific sins that we need to get out of our lives. Now, most of us probably think that we had these sins settled long ago that we really don't need to be bothered with this because uh, we really don't have these kinds of problems. But we're learning as we go through this that, yes, indeed, these are some things that we really need to look at because these things are prevalent in our lives. For instance, the sin of lying. We looked at that and we found out that our society is basically, uh, to a large degree, built upon untruths. And even when you get into uh, religious settings, when you talk about the pulpit, there are preachers who like to inflate numbers. They may talk about the number of converts that they make and uh, what really should be sacrosanct. I mean, just talking about something as serious as that is what the Lord has done. And then to turn that around and use it for something to try to impress preacher buddy, buddy, buddies, excuse me, that, that's a wrong thing to do. We also talked about uh, putting away anger. And likewise, we see that in our churches. We, we see displays of anger. People get angry at things that they shouldn't. Uh, they leave the church about, oh, over things that should amount to practically nothing. So we have that kind of problem in our church. So while we're talking about those kinds of things and we're wondering, why doesn't the world clean up its act? We really need to turn around and look at ourselves sometimes and see what's wrong with us because we have not put away these sins either. And so Christians are involved in some of the same old things that they had before they were saved. Well, tonight we're going to look at this third sin that Paul mentions. And again, we may think, well, this is something we've got conquered. We really don't have a problem with this. But we do find that this is even prevalent in our churches. So let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to go back uh, to verse number 25 and begin there. We'll read down to verse number 30. And verse number 28 is the text verse tonight. Verse number 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole... Steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for another Wednesday night. We thank you for the study of your word and for the good folks of Berean Baptist Church and visitors that we have as well who've come out tonight to hear your word, we just ask you, Lord, you'd help us to learn something here and help us to 
really understand what these things mean and the things that we need to get out of our lives. So bless in this message tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It should be fairly obvious to us that the first two sins that were mentioned in this portion of Scripture, the sins of lying and anger, are either directly or indirectly related to the Ten Commandments. But when we come to this third sin that Paul speaks of here, we can't miss this because anybody who knows the Ten Commandments knows that commandment number eight is thou shalt not steal. And we think about this and uh, we look at Paul bringing this particular sin up in this passage of Scripture and we wonder why is it that Paul stops and start, or stops what he's talking about before. I mean, really, some things that are just mind-boggling, almost deep doctrines of the Word of God. And he goes right back here to things that are just plain old rudimentary knowledge or should be of every single person. Why does Paul have to go back to this when he's been dealing with such difficult subjects, but he comes back to the simple things once again? Well, there's only one answer to that. And that is that Christians often disobey the simplest of God's commands. The things that we should know about first, Christians disobey. When Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, he said, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? So perhaps Paul's desire as he writes to the Christians is to get away from these simple truths. I'm sure that he would love to, to spend some more time in those deep doctrines that we've been speaking about. And he doesn't want to have to go back to the simple concepts. But the simple truth of the matter is we won't let him. We don't let him do that because we still have these problems. I mean, these petty little things that should have been done away with long ago are still a part of our lives. And so Paul has to deal with them. He has to tell these Ephesian people, as well as he tells us, put away lying, get rid of your anger, and stop stealing. Now, this evening, we're going to look at the problem of stealing, and we're going to think about the subject, there's honor and honesty. Now, notice our text verse again, verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may give to him that needeth. Now, just like the first two sins that we spoke of, Paul starts with a negative statement. He goes on to a positive statement. Then he gives us the practical result when we change this. So we're going to look at this sin in the same way that Paul presents it. We're going to look at stealing with the negative, the positive, and then the practical result of what he tells us to do. So first of all, let's talk tonight about stop stealing. Simple statement, stop stealing. Now, that's another one of those things that if this happens to be your problem that you don't need to get down on your knees and pray about this type of sin. I mean, this is not something that you have to ask God, should I do it or should I not do it? I mean, we all understand very clearly the thing to do is not pray about it. The thing to do is to stop doing it. I mean, you wouldn't get down on your knees and pray about stealing and while you're praying, continue in that sin. That's obvious we don't do that because this is one of the Ten Commandments. Don't steal. Now, as we think about stealing, I think it's good for us to break it down just a little bit. Let's see what it's all about. And you may be sitting there tonight and you say, Pastor, uh, I admit sometimes I do lie. Every now and then I do tell a little white lie. Sometimes I do get angry and I admit that. I mean, I, I fly off the handle every now and then. Uh, and, and I'm sorry that I do that, but I realize I do get angry. But stealing? No, not me. I don't steal things. Surely you couldn't accuse me of stealing. 
Well, let's look at it and let's examine it. Let's see if we really are following the biblical command not to steal. So let's talk about some things that stealing involves. Number one, or letter A on the listening sheet, theft may involve taking things. Of course, that's the most obvious to us. If you take something that doesn't belong to you, belongs to somebody else, then that would be stealing. I remember that my dad used to say that there was nothing that he hated worse than a thief. I mean, he said, I can take anything that anybody throws at me, but one thing I can't abide, I cannot abide a thief. I remember about 25 years ago, I, was, uh, I owned a construction company. One morning, we went out to pick up one of our backhoes that we left on a construction site. Normally, what we would do, would, we would secure the backhoe. We'd put it in a place where uh, nobody could bother it. It'd be very difficult for somebody to steal it. But on this particular night, the, the operator didn't do that. Instead, he loaded it upon the trailer. He pulled the truck out on the street, unhitched the trailer, and drove off. And that night, somebody came along, backed up to the trailer, hitched up, and took off. And they stole the machine. And the next morning, um, I, I got a call on a two-way radio, and my men says, well, our machine's gone. And right then, I understood what my dad meant, why he could not abide a thief. Somebody took my living away from me, took my livelihood away from me, and I was angry about that. I didn't like that, and, and we understand it very well. That's the wrong thing for a person to do. And so, you know, I, I, I called the police. I went out there and filled out the police report, and I'd ask him, I said, what are the chances of recovery of this? And he said, not very good. He said, your, your machine is probably somewhere halfway to Florida by now. And I learned that the I-75 corridor between Lexington and Tampa, Florida, is just like a thieves golden highway. I mean, there's construction equipment going up and down at all the time that have been stolen from people. Well, I understood. I, I don't like a thief. And it's easy for us to see why Christians would not want to be involved in that kind of sin. Sometimes we might excuse it and we say, well, if somebody has to steal because they really need that, then, then maybe that could be all right. But no, the Bible doesn't tell us we can do that. And really, folks, there are a lot of people who steal things not because they need them. They just like the thrill of stealing. A lot of rich kids, you know, get involved with shoplifting. I mean, we, we've all read in the paper. We've heard about, you know, uh, Winona Ryder down in L.A. I mean, here's, here's somebody that's rich. What's she doing in a store shoplifting things? But people do things like that. They even tell us that one of the reasons why the cost of goods is so high in our stores is really not because of shoplifting. Did you know this? The main reason why our 25% of the cost of all goods in our stores is the result of employee theft. People taking stuff out of the stores who work there. Well, we understand Christians ought not to do that. That's a blight on society. And we also know this, that the, the merchant doesn't really lose that money. The person who pays for it is you. So we don't like thieves. I mean, that's simple. We know Christians ought not to take what doesn't belong to them. But that's not the only way that you can steal. I, I couldn't even go into perhaps all the ways that you could steal, but we're going to talk about a couple of other things because theft may not all, uh, only involve taking things, but theft may involve taking time. You may take physical things, but it's also possible for you to steal time. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, I mean when you work for somebody. If you, if you take away your employer's time, you're stealing from him. Now, you think about it. The time that you spend around the water cooler or the time that you make all those personal phone calls, and instead of being productive for your employee, you're stealing that time for yourself or taking the time, that's stealing. It's, a ste- it's as much stealing as if, if, you, if you took something, uh, uh, some money away from you or a piece of office equipment out of the, out of the, uh, out of the office. 
And I'm familiar with this kind of thing as well. You know, I, I, when I owned that construction company, I had employees that would steal time from me. I'd go out on a job and sometimes I'd, I'd see somebody taking a nap. I'd see one of the guys in, in, a, uh, in a corner of a house somewhere asleep. That's stealing my time. I owned a um, ready-mix concrete plant one time as well. And uh, I had an employee that he'd make his deliveries and then he'd pull off the road afterwards and he'd take a nap. Well, I'm waiting on that guy with that truck to get in there to take out another load. So what's he doing? He's stealing my time. So you may not just walk up there and, and stick a gun in your employer's back and say, hand over your money. But if you take his time, if you steal his time from him, then that's the same as if you took something right, uh, a physical, physical thing from him. Now, I want to tell you something else that might surprise you. It's also wrong for you to take your employer's time to do God's work. I'm talking about witnessing. Now, we think, well, that's a good thing to witness, and folks, it is. You ought to witness, but you ought not to take your employer's time to do it. That's his time, and God wouldn't be pleased with that. Now, I do believe that that a Christian person, you ought to share your faith with those that you work with. They ought to know that you're a Christian. But if you have to take away productive time from your employer to do that, then it's wrong. That would be stealing from him. So don't do that. If you need, to, if you need to time to talk to somebody, take your lunch break. Uh, take a, uh, some other period of the day. Take time after work, whatever it is. But don't steal your employer's time. Now, since I'm also talking about work, let me ask you this. Have you ever padded an expense account? You ever put an extra meal on an expense account? Put a few miles extra on it? Put something that's not supposed to be there on an expense account? That's the same thing. It's stealing. And I could say, you know, that's just a little bit dishonest for you to do that. But I'm just going to put it like Paul says it. That's stealing. And he says Christians ought not to steal. Here's what I think. I think that if an employer wants to hire somebody, the first people that he ought to be able to look at is Christians. He ought to be able to think that Christians are the most honest, they are the most industrious people that I can hire. And if I can possibly find out that a person's a Christian, I don't know if you can even do that today, you probably can't. But if you could find out if a person's a Christian, that's the guy that I want to hire. But you know that's not the way that it is? Because Christian people, too many times, are not the right kind of employees. Christian people come into late work, and they leave early. They're lazy on the job. They call in sick when they're not sick. And you know what that is? It's dishonest. It's stealing. And you ought not to do it. It's sad, but there are many unsaved people who are a better testimony at work than Christians are. So that's what Paul means here. He has to back off the deep doctrinal truths to go back to simple stuff because Christians just don't get this. He says, be honest. And that means be 100% honest in all of our dealings. So you can, you can steal by, by taking things, and you can steal by taking time. Now, what about this one? You, and you know that I'm going to say this. I have to come to this. Theft may involve taking tithes. Now, you might think, well, well, I don't tithe, but that just means that I haven't given what I should to the Lord, and that's really not so bad. No, you haven't not just given to the Lord. You've taken And you've taken something that doesn't belong to you, which what? It means that you've stolen it. Now, stealing is not something that God calls thievery. He has a different word for it. God calls, I'm talking about stealing a tithe. God doesn't call stealing a tithe thievery. He calls it robbery. And that's a different concept. You all know the scripture, Malachi 3 verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. 
But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. There's a difference between a thief and a robber. A thief is somebody who sneaks into your house at night and he takes something when you're not aware of it. A thief is really a coward because he doesn't want to confront you. But a robber is something totally different. A robber is somebody who comes out there and he's not afraid to confront you because he takes a gun, he sticks it in your face and he says, hand over your money and he robs you. This is what God is saying. You see, you, you can't sneak up on God. You can't take something from God when he's not looking. He's always looking. And so when you steal his tithe, you're looking him right in the eye and God's looking you right in the eye. And he says that's robbery because you're taking what belongs to him. You ever been guilty of this? Have you, are you guilty of trying to figure out even what the tithe is? Tithe means 10%, but there are some Christians who think tithe means 5%. They have problems with math. Tithe means 7%. God has no trouble with math at all. He's a math genius, folks. And he knows when 5% is not 10%. He knows when 7% is not 10%. And I, you can, I was going to say bet your bottom dollar, so I'll say that. He knows when zero is not 10%. And God says Christians ought to stop stealing from him. And let me mention this as well. Tithing is not for the rich only. Tithing's for everybody. It's for rich and the poor. Because in the eyes of God, uh, this is why we have proportional giving. Because in his eyes, a person who makes $100,000 a year and gives 10,000 as his tithe has not given more than a person who makes 5,000 a year and gives $500 as his tithe. In the eyes of God, it's exactly the same thing. Also, tithing is not determined by how many bills that you have to pay minus the amount of money that you've made for that week. God gets what's first. The first fruits belong to God. So God says, stop stealing from me. Now, we can think of other ways that we could talk about stealing. If you're a student and you cheat on a test, that's stealing. Cheat on your income tax, that's stealing. If you get ready to sell a car and you misrepresent the mileage that's on it, or you say, you know, there's nothing really wrong with this car, and you sell it for a dollar figure because you don't want that person to find out what's wrong, that's stealing from him. And the Bible says that Christians ought not to steal. So you can do this in different ways. You can steal from yourself. You can steal from God. You waste your talents that God has given you. Things, time, talents, ties, all of it. God says stop stealing. Now, that's the negative side. And as I said, I can go into multitudes of ways that people steal. But Paul says Christians ought to be absolutely honest. There's honor and honesty and stop stealing. But Paul doesn't stop with that. Now, you may think you got that side of the thing licked. I'm trying to be perfectly honest. I'm going to stop stealing. But he tells us something else. He goes with the positive statement, and that is to start working. He says, let him that stole steal no more. And then the second part says, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good. So if you gain anything, the honorable way to get it is to work for it. Honest, hard work, that's God's way. Now let's look at this a little bit more closely. First, labor is a divine order. Now I know that there are a lot of people who don't want to hear this, but work is God's command. And we make a lot of jokes about work. And, you know, you hear people say all the time they work hardest at figuring out how not to work. And that's, that, that's what they spend most of their time doing. I was coming to church and I saw a bumper sticker behind the, was right behind the guy. It said, work is for people who don't know how to fish. And that's what a lot of people think. I mean, work, I mean, why, why work? And, and I would say, well, nobody likes work. But I don't think that's a true statement. I think honest, good, 
Christians desire work. They want to work. Now, you, I'm, that's not the same thing as saying you like your job. That's an entirely different matter. You may hate your job, but it's a job you hate and not work. Because good Christians work because that's God's way. It's a divine order. God said to Adam in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it thou wast taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. Now here's the problem. When people try to circumvent God's order of work, that's when they end up stealing. Because they've got to figure out some other way to make a living. So they desire to have... But they don't want to put in the effort that it takes to get what they want. And so they think, well, if I can't make it by the sweat of my brow, if I can't make it by breaking my back to work, then I'm going to make my living off of somebody else. I'll get somebody else to make my living for me. And isn't that what we see happening in America today? You know it is. We complain about it every time we, we, we get our paychecks. Americans, I mean, in America, we keep increasing welfare roles with people who want to make it on the backs of somebody else. Now, let me say about welfare. It's a good thing. It's a good thing for people who need it. And as a matter of fact, I think God commands it. And you'll see that in a little bit later as I get more into the message, that God commands us to take care of people. But God has never commanded us to take care of people who will not work, who don't want to work. We take care of people who can't work and who have problems where they can't. But today, you know, it's almost a virtue. I mean, it's a tribute to your ingenuity. If you can figure out how not to work and still make a living, that's a problem. People today, well, they think you're a crazy fool if you don't take the easy money. I mean, you haven't figured out a way to make money without working. And so you have a lot of people that do dishonest things, dishonest collection of a welfare, welfare check. Folks, that's stealing. Drawing unemployment when you're actually working. That's stealing. But people figured out a way. Well, I can get this without working. So God's people ought to be working. And I'm going to tell you something else. And I know this is not politically correct for me to say this. So you can write me down as some kind of right-wing fundamentalist, I guess. But I think that, that people that are able to work and for some unforeseen reason they have to get on a welfare roll, that they ought to be made to do some kind of public service. I think that if you're going to give people money, then let them have some, give them some kind of a public job. I mean, something that, that, that they could do. Picking up paper, if that's what it takes. It's better for people to do that than receive money for not having to work for it. Put them out there on the highways. I mean, cleaning out fence rows. I mean, goodness sakes. I mean, uh, you look around California, we need that, don't we? I mean, the state has got so much money spent on welfare that, that we don't even have enough money to take care of our road system. We can't you know, pick up the paper along the side of the road. I think people ought to have to work for what they get. Now, that brings me to the next observation. I got one amen out of that one. Labor is a dignified endeavor. It's a divine order, and it's a dignified endeavor. I believe that you put people to work, you'll see more honesty because people begin to see the value of the work. Now, my dad started me off working when I was little. I mean, he was... uh, um, he was a pastor, but the church couldn't support him when, in my younger years. Uh, matter of fact, almost the whole time I was growing up, he had to have another job because the, the church couldn't, didn't have enough money to, to pay him full time. So he had another job. And guess what? When I was little, in the summertime, when I wasn't going to school, I was out there working with him. And he worked me hard. And I learned the value of work. Parents, I think you ought to teach your kids to work. I like nothing better than to drive up here on a Saturday and see Benjamin and Samuel, 
these little Petro boys out there with a rake, a shovel, or whatever, and their little wheelbarrow out there picking up stuff in the parking lot, getting things ready, helping their dad. Isn't that something? You know, those boys are learning something. They're learning Papa's a slave driver. That's what they're <laughs> going to remember. No, actually, they're, they're learning it's good to work. It's a dignified endeavor. Now, when you take away from work and you degrade work and you want to have instead of to earn, then you're headed down that slippery slope to stealing. A Jewish rabbi said, the man that does not teach his son to work teaches him to steal. Now, sometimes when I think about these little five-year-old boys out there that are, that are helping around this, on the yard crew, I'm wondering sometimes, where are the teenagers? Where are the teenagers? Why aren't they helping? And I did see something in the bulletin a few weeks ago. We had a little thing in the bulletin where uh, the teenagers, if you needed some yard work done, that they would come and they would do your yard work and you'd pay them and they would earn money from activities. I think that's a good idea. It's a whole lot better to let them earn that money than it is to give them that money. But I'm also wondering, where are the teenagers on some of these other Saturdays when they could be out here helping? I mean, we've got good men out there every single week working on the yard, doing all these things around the building. Where, where, where's, where's the help? Where's the teenagers that could help with that? And those men are working for that, and they never see a dime for it. And you know what's more? They don't want a dime for it. They don't want anything for it because that labor, that work is for the Lord, and they do it because they love God. And that's a wonderful thing. Work is a great thing. Now, some of you may not like this statement either. And that's the, the meaning of the word labor in this verse actually means, I mean, if you look this up, the word here actually means to work hard. And it means really to come to the place of fatigue. Now, when you've worked hard to where you come home and the only thing that you want to do is lay your head down on the pillow, then you have the idea what Paul is talking about. He's not just talking about tiddlywinks here and, you know, doing little things. He's talking about working to the extent of fatigue. And that's what he's talking about that's honorable. Stop stealing and start working. And if you notice this, that the lazier people become, the less spiritual that they are, godliness is always characterized with laziness. Godlessness, I should say. I almost put that right. So the more that we increase the welfare welfare roles, have you noticed in America that the more that we increase them, that the more crime that we have. Put people to work and you'll see a lot less crime. Here's a saying that goes all the way back to the 12th century. At least they say this is 12th century. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. You know why they say that? It's because when you're not busy working, you've got time to get into things that you ought not to be in. And so... Christians, we need to be useful, we need to be industrious, and this is what Paul is saying. So it makes good sense here. Paul says, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good. Because if we don't do that, we're going to fall into this sin of laziness, and we can fall into stealing. But now he goes a step further. The scripture says, stop stealing, that's the negative side. Start working, there's the positive, and then here is the result, or the practical thing that we should do. Stay giving. Because here we come to the purpose of labor. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands a thing which is good. Now here's the purpose, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Now do you know that that is not the reason that most people think that we work? That's not our reason at all. I mean, the reason that we're working is to promote ourselves, not not to help other people, 
But here Paul says, let's stop stealing, let's stop working. And he moves us all the way from the stop stealing to start sharing. That's the purpose of really of our work. So why do we work? Here's the first reason. Do it for the care of others. For the care of others. Now here's really where I think American philosophy has gone so wrong. Because we've become such a self-absorbed uh, society that we think is work, that work is bothersome. Work is a necessary evil to get us to the place that we can have what we want and to spend it all on ourselves. And so the average American, what's he doing? He's working in order that he can just get to the weekend so he can blow that money on pleasure and having a good time. And we started something in the recent past that's really not a biblical philosophy. You know what it is? And you're going to have to hear me out on the whole thing because I don't want anybody to get mad at me here. We started structured retirement. Because what we did, we got to the place where we socked all of our money away so that when we come down to the end to our retirement years, we can sit down and we can spend all of the money on ourselves. As I say, hear me out before you shut me down on this one. We use the excuse all of these years that we can't serve God because we have to work. We just don't have time to serve God because we have to work. And so we put all the money aside, then we finally reach our retirement years, and what do we do? We sit down and we do nothing. Paul says that's not the purpose of working. It's not the purpose of earning your money. It's for the care of others. So I wonder, when are we going to take the time that we have now and use it for God? When you get to retirement years, why aren't we spending that time that we didn't use before? Why aren't we using that for God? So the goal here is not self. The goal is for others. And I'm not saying here that that people need to give away all their retirement money. I'm just saying, where is the attitude that we're going to work for others? And it's not just me, me, me all the time. So it's not just money. It's also our time. I mean, think about it. What if the purpose of hard work, in your younger years, what if the purpose of hard work was so that you could get to retirement, so that you could spend your retirement time doing God's work? Wouldn't that be a better principle to live by? I think that's what God expects. Now, here's the thing. Maybe, maybe you get older and you can't go out here and pass out tracts. You can't walk up and down the street all day long because that's physically impossible to do. But let me ask you, how much time do you spend praying for the work? How much time do you, do you uh, use calling somebody during the week to offer encouragement to those people who need it? When do you seek any kind of opportunity to do what, something for God at all? And then for those of you that that you're still working, where do you spend your extra time? I'm telling you, folks, if you take all of your money and all of your energy and all of your time and you channel it towards yourself, then you're missing the whole point of what God says that work is for. Now, I'm not picking on you tonight. I'm not picking on the old and the young or the young. I don't want anybody to go away mad at me. But I'm just saying, look at the priorities that we've set. Look at the scripture here and see, are we really following exactly what Paul tells us to do? And I find that most of the time we really aren't doing that. So Paul has to bring up the mundane. He brings up the simple thing because we just haven't yet got it right. Now, works to take care of others. The second thing is do it for the cause of truth. Why does God give us an ability to earn? Because there's truth that has to be taken to other people. Their people need to hear the gospel of Christ. When did you ever hear somebody say, a a Christian say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to work overtime this week because that'll mean I'll have some extra money that I'll be able to send to missions. So I'm going to work overtime so I can increase my offerings above my regular tithe this week. 
I can count on one hand, less than one hand. I can count on no fingers at all how many times I've heard a Christian say that. I don't know when I ever have. Now, somebody probably has. I have heard Christians say this. Well, I'm going to start working overtime so I can pay off my credit cards. Why? Because my wanter was bigger than my bank account. And so I've got to spend my time working to pay off credit cards. I've heard Christians say, I hope I get a raise because I've got my eye on a BMW. I need to get a raise. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to work overtime because I want a boat. I want a motorcycle. I need that vacation in Tahiti. So that's why I'm going to work overtime. When do you hear Christians say, I'm going to work. I need a raise because I need to increase my tithes and offerings to my church. I don't hear that. Now, do you see what I'm saying here? It's easy for us to come to Ephesians 4.28 and say, stop stealing and stop reading. I've done it all. I mean, I've got that conquered. It's not as easy as it seems, is it? It's not really as easy. So he says, stay giving, start sharing. Work for him that has a need. Now, many do not hear the gospel of Jesus Christ because Christian people don't give their tithes and offerings and we're not working for the care of other people and to see that missionaries get the money that they need to preach it around the world. Now, here's a third reason. We'll, this will end us for tonight. A third reason for giving and for sharing is that to do it for the character of Christ. If you want to be like Christ and you want to put off the old man and to put on a new that's created in righteousness and holiness, then what you have to do is start doing the kinds of things that Christ did. I want you to listen to Paul's words in Acts twenty thirty five. He said, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. How many of you know where that's found in the Gospels? It's more blessed to give than to receive. How many of you know where that is? I said in the Gospels. Does anybody know where it is? Oh, don't give me a scripture because it's not in the Gospels. Trick question. It's not in the Gospels. Not one Gospel writer recorded Jesus' words, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Did you know that? So how did Paul know that? Where did he get that information? Well, I don't know. Maybe the apostles, the other apostles told him about it because we know that the apostle Paul, as far as we know, besides on the road to Damascus, he never had a face-to-face meeting with Christ or not even that wasn't a physical meeting. So how did he know this? Well, it could be that God just spoke it to him because we know that in, in uh, uh, Corinthians, Second Corinthians, uh, Jesus spoke to him and he said, my grace is sufficient for thee. And he said, you know, my strength is made perfect in weakness. He spoke that directly to the Apostle Paul. So I don't know how he got the information, but somehow he got this information where Christ said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So he knew the character of Christ. And so Paul could write about the character of Christ. And you know what he said? In the book of Philippians, he said that Christ made himself of no reputation and he took upon him the form of a servant. You know what that means? It means that he gave up everything for us. He's already got the principle laid out here. It's all set down. He gave up everything for us. And so Paul told the Corinthians, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. One author said, Not only did Christ not steal that which did not belong to him, he didn't even hold on to that which was his, the everlasting riches. And for our sakes he became poor. 
And he lived in this world as one of the poor. He had no house of his own. He had no home of his own. The Son of Man, he said, hath not where to lay his head. We read that every man went to his own house. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. So you say, preacher, Ephesians 4, 28, that doesn't apply to me. I don't steal. No problem. I don't steal. Read it all. Read it all. Read, read the entire verse and see how you measure up then. Now, folks, I hope you took some notes tonight. It's been eerily quiet in here tonight as I've been preaching about this. So t- I hope you got the notes. Go home and read them over. Don't get mad. All I've done is just try to give you the sense of this passage. So here we are. It's easy to read, isn't it? It's easy to read it without thinking about it. What does he mean? Don't steal. Start working. Start giving. Give, start sharing. It's all in that verse. So there's the third specific sin that Paul talks about. And we see that it's not so easy. Lying, anger, stealing. We've still got some forms of that, don't we, that we need to get rid of. Then the next lesson we come to is about Evil communications. And I know that we've got those kind of problems in our churches. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the study of your word tonight. And Lord, uh, simple things don't always come out to be so simple when we study the word of God. And so we wonder why Paul goes back and he doesn't deal with the deep doctrines. Well, really, when we look at the sin of stealing, there's much more to it than we really realize. Lord, help us to be the kind of Christians that are not lying, we're not angry, we're not stealing. But Lord, may you use us in the way that we need to be used and may we regard our lives for you to that we want to be just like you. We want to pattern our lives after you. Lord, help us to do that. Bless as we sing this invitation hymn tonight. Lord, speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.